All right, all right, all right. Howdy. Thanks. Thanks, Evan. Hey, I just want to begin by expressing just my, my deep thankfulness for you know, God and his providence and um, you know, placing me here right now in Jackson, Mississippi at Harvest, going to RTS. Um, it's truly a blessing to be here. I've had a blast. And so I'm just so thankful just for everyone here, for y'all, you know, support of me and Moses. Um, we're thankful for that. And uh, we, we, of we made, we made great, great friends so far being here in Jackson. So um, yes, thank you all so much. And uh, most importantly, I'm just like the most thankful that I get to you know, bring God's word to y'all this morning. So, um, so we're going to open up to John chapter 18. Uh, we're going to continue our series through the gospel of John. And so we'll be in verses 15 through 27, 15 through 27 of John chapter 18. And so we're going to read through the whole passage first, then we're going to walk through it uh, verse by verse. So uh, let's pray real quick, and we'll jump into the text. Father, <clears throat> praise you for worship. Uh, praise you that we unworthy sinners can approach you, a holy God, through Christ our mediator. And uh, praise you for your word, that you revealed yourself in scripture. And praise you for this time we get to hear your word preached and hear um, your Holy Spirit work in our hearts, faith and love that you have set out for us, Lord. And God, I just pray right now, um, direct our hearts, direct our minds to this end, that we may rest in Christ and rest in who you are as our great Savior. That would be so, Lord, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, John chapter 18, verses 15 through 27. Here we go. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest... He entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple, where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers, standing by Jesus, struck him with his hand, saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man, whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once the rooster crowed. Okay, so back in the summer of 2020, uh, the, the grand COVID summer, uh, I worked at this camp called Sky Ranch. So every week we would get um, high school sophomores. I got to work with high school sophomores all summer. Great time, real fun, lots of craziness, but it was great. And uh, you know, so me and the guy counselors, every Monday night, uh, we would take the guys out for a man night. So for man night, our theme was medieval knights. And so basically what we do is go on a quest. Um, you know, one guy, his costume was a like infl inflatable unicorn. It was real crazy. It was, it was, it was real funny. You know, we, we did some fun things at camp this summer. 
So yeah, we had all these games to play um, throughout the whole night. But at the end of the night, uh, we concluded by uh, all the guide counselors talking to our boys about uh, different men in the Bible. You know, all the cool stuff they did, all the good things they did. So we talked about, you know, David, Samuel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, you know, maybe Paul or Peter. Um, we talked about all those guys. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with, um, you know, highlighting the good example of believers found in Scripture. That's, that's all good and godly. We should emulate when they did good. But also, men like David, um, I mean, he committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he murdered Uriah. So we have, these, these characters all have flaws, okay? And so, although we should you know, follow the example of characters found in Scripture when they do good, um, the purpose of the Bible is not primarily to teach us good moral lessons on how to be good moral people, to be a better you. The purpose of all, all the Scriptures is this message. Jesus saves. Where, De- where Adam failed, where Noah failed, where Abraham failed, where Moses failed, where David failed, Christ succeeded for us. Everyone in biblical history and everyone in world history, except for one, has all been born into bondage to sin, and we cannot free ourselves. You know, we mostly tend to think of ourselves as, you know, David slaying Goliath. We tend to think highly of ourselves. But the overwhelming testimony of the scriptures is that we're more like David committing adultery with Bathsheba and murdering Uriah. We're not the heroes. We're the villains. So the bad news of the Bible is this. We are an unfaithful people, and we can do nothing to change that. You know, just being taught good examples to follow in Scripture can only testify to the fact that we are having born to sin, we have broken God's law, and we justly deserve his condemnation. But, you know, the good news of the Bible, the good news, which is the gospel, is that Jesus was faithful for us, and he did everything necessary to secure eternal life for us as a free gift So it's the overwhelming testimony of the scriptures that Jesus is the true David who came to conquer our greatest Goliath, sin and death. So in our text today, we're going to look at another man of God in the Bible who did great things for God's kingdom. So we're going to look at Peter today, and uh, we're going to look at him at his very worst and darkest moment. And so we're going to divide this text into three points. Uh, Number one, Peter's unfaithfulness, Christ's faithfulness, and number three, how Christ's faithfulness saves Peter from his unfaithfulness. It's the intention of the Apostle John to put the spotlight on Peter, then back on Christ, then back on Peter, to show us that we are an unfaithful people who need a faithful Savior. So let's look at verses 15 through 18, Peter's unfaithfulness. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he'd enter with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they're standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. So we see in this text, Peter's first denial of Christ. But we should not you know, think that Peter's an unbeliever in this text who has not yet been transformed by the grace of God. I think the testimony of Scripture is that he was a believer in this text. Because in Matthew 16, uh, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
And Christ himself says that, hey, like, you did not come to this truth on your own, but it's my Father in heaven who has revealed that truth to you. So Peter is a true believer in this text. Yeah, but as we see, Peter is still a sinner. We saw that last week, and we, saw, we see this this week. So last week we saw Peter cut the ear off of Malchus when he came with the army to, to arrest Jesus. But this week, we see him caving in to a little slave girl. And this, this little slave girl, like he, she poses no threat to his life. I mean, she is a child, a female, and a slave. Like Those are all disadvantages in the Greco-Roman world to having your testimony believed. So Peter's in no danger here. Even if the slave girl did tell the authorities, it's very unlikely that Peter would be arrested. So last week, we saw an example of extreme recklessness of Peter. This week, we see an extreme example, example of cowardice from Peter. Both examples are demonstrative of Peter's unfaithfulness to Christ. So what's the root cause behind Peter's unfaithfulness? I think the root cause is that he's still a sinner. And so this is the root cause behind all of our unfaithfulness to Christ. So why do we still sin even though we've been transformed by the grace of God and truly love Jesus? Like, why does that happen? Well, it's because that there's still remaining corruption within us that produces corrupt acts out of us. Okay, you know, yes, we have been raised with Christ to walk in the news of life. We are slaves of righteousness, but we are not yet glorified. When we are raised from the dead, we will be like Christ. We will be unable to sin, but perfectly obey God and to love him with all of our hearts, soul, minds, and strengths. But in this age, we will still struggle with sin. Like, we will never be able to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and all of our strength. We can't, we can't do that in this age. So we'll never be able to perfectly know God's law, what it requires in every situation, or choose what God's law requires, or even love what we choose, what God's law requires of us. This is something we cannot change. No, no amount of methods or steps you can take to change that, you are a sinner, no matter if you're in Christ or out of Christ. So sin will be a reality in our lives. And not just small sins, big sins, scandalous sins. Scandalous as in denying Jesus is your Lord. That kind of scandalous. So we must, we, we must not become discouraged and immediately think we're unbelievers when we sin. You know, yes, sin is wrong, and yes, it should be put to death, but sin is normal, and God knows this. And this is why he sent his son, and this is why Jesus is resolute to go to the cross and to die for our sins. We are unfaithful, but Christ is faithful for us. So let's look at verses 19 through 24, Christ's faithfulness. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by Jesus struck him with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, Bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So what we chiefly see in this text is that Jesus isn't backing down even though Peter is. While Peter is warming himself and avoiding the cross, Jesus is being mocked, falsely accused, 
beaten, and he's heading straight for the cross. He's trusting in his Father's will right now. And so sometimes when we read of Jesus being accused in the gospel narratives, uh, you know, we may make the mistake of thinking he's being weak or timid, you know, acting defeated, or just giving very indirect answers. But I think that's actually you know, not the case. So when the high priest questions Jesus about his teaching, I mean, he's not being genuine. Like, he knows exactly what Jesus taught. Because Christ, like, he was not, his ministry was not behind closed doors. He wasn't receiving new revelation from God alone in a cave or in a forest all by himself. I mean, he taught for three years that the fulfillment of the Old Testament was found in him alone. And he, he performed miracles in front of thousands. So at, at the end of the day, Jesus knows these bozos don't want the truth. They've already made up, made up in their minds that they're going to kill him. So what we see here is that Jesus, he's applying Proverbs 26.4 when it says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. And so this is something we don't do. You know, if, it, if it were us in this situation, I mean, we'd be kicking and screaming, and we'd be trying to argue to the death with our, with our executor. So why, why would we do this? Well, I think there's two reasons why we would just you know, fight to the death. I think number one, um, we want to be right at all costs. We want to be justified in the eyes of men. And number two, we just don't want to be punked. You know, and how could you treat a nobleman such as myself? You know, that's what, that's what we think. But the most noble of us all is the Lord Jesus, who is truly God, and a perfectly righteous man. And he did not seek to be justified in the eyes of man, but he entrusted himself to God. And this is what 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 23 teaches us when it says, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So I think also we, something, we see something ironic in this text in verse 22. An officer struck Jesus. So I find this ironic because Jesus is the God who promised to break the teeth of the wicked. And he is the Messiah who has prophesied that he shall break the nations with a rod of iron and dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel in Psalm chapter 2. Yet, this text doesn't show us Jesus breaking the teeth of the wicked. But it shows us the wicked breaking Jesus' teeth. And this is precisely according to the plan and purpose of God before the foundation of the world. The plan was that God the Son would take on human flesh to be crucified by his enemies in order to recon be reconciled to them in communion with them. In this text, Jesus patiently suffers in trusting God's plan in order to have mercy on his enemies. Again, this is something very unlike what we would do. You know, even the Apostle Paul says that we would scarcely die for a righteous person, let alone die for our enemies. And you, you know, unless you misunderstand me here, you know, Jesus did not come merely to be a good example on how to suffer well. Jesus is more than a good example to follow to get rid of our sins. No, Jesus is the way to get rid of our sins. Jesus was perfectly patient and perfectly trusted in his Father's will so that he would go to the cross to wipe away our sins as far as the east is from the west and so that we'd be righteous in God's sight. And if you have not yet trusted in the Lord Jesus as your Savior, know that now is the day of salvation. And that God right here, right now, is being patient towards you, not wishing that any should, should perish, but that all should reach repentance. There will come a day when Jesus 
finally breaks the teeth of the wicked. But today is not that day. He allows his own teeth to be broken by the wicked in order to save them from their sins. And it's on this note that we're going to turn to, to see how Christ's faithfulness saves Peter from his unfaithfulness. Let's look at verses 25 through 27. Now Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. So here the stakes are higher. The servant of the high priest could easily tell the high priest that Peter was one of Christ's disciples. Then Peter commits the sin of sins. He denies Christ. So if you remember in the Gospel of John, this, this wasn't always his intention. Okay? So back in chapter 13, Peter tells Jesus that he would lay down his life for him. He had good intentions. But again, Peter is still a weak sinner in need of grace, and Christ's prophecy in chapter 13 comes true. And so in Luke and Matthew's accounts of this, this, this narrative of Peter's denial of Christ, uh, they say that Peter wept after he denied Christ. And so what would be so significant about denying Christ, right? You know, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 33, that whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus threatens that those who deny him we totally cut off from communion with God. Whoever denies Christ will be cut off from his peace and love. So this is the terrifying reality that makes Peter weep. So when we sin, we in a sense deny Christ. When we, when we sin, we affirm that our way is better while God's way is not. We are the lords of our own lives, not the Lord Jesus. And also after we sin, we tend to respond just like Peter, uh, we, we fall into despair. So there's one man in church history who was very well, well acquainted with despair. Uh, his name is Martin Luther, and this is what he has to write about despair. He writes, we doubt of God's, will, God's good will toward us, that we, that we cannot believe with full assurance that we please God. Above all this, the devil, our adversary, goes around all around, all around us, roaring horribly, you are a sinner and God is angry with you and will destroy you forever. At those times, there is no feeling at all that can perceive Christ. We cannot see him. Our heart does not feel his presence nor help in temptation. Instead, it seems as if he is furious with us and that he has abandoned us. Further, when we are under temptation and feel afflicted, we feel the power of sin, the weakness of the flesh, and doubt. We feel the fiery darts of the devil, the terror of death, and God's wrath and judgment. All these things cry out horribly against us so that we cannot see anything else but hopelessness and eternal death. So I think the next thing, next thing we do in response, in response to sin is that we just, try, we just try harder, you know? We think that if we just try enough to muster enough strength to, with, from within to do good things, to avoid our sins, then we can finally enjoy God's grace and his favor again. In a very real sense, we make trying harder our atonement. We think if, we're just, if you're just sorry enough, and if that we're really resolved to do better the next time, God will accept us and give us a second chance. 
But as we, as we have seen, Peter was really resolved to die alongside Christ, and he failed to do, to do so. So if we think trying harder and just repenting harder is the, the solution, then we'll only fall into an endless cycle of sin, despair, trying harder, repeat. There's nothing we can do within ourselves that can save us from being cut off from God's peace and love. But the good news of the gospel is that Peter's story and our story doesn't end in verse 27. So Jesus prayed back in John 17 that he would keep all of his disciples in his name. So Jesus has been given authority to give eternal life to everyone given to him by the Father, and he's going to make good on that promise. So after Jesus was raised from the dead, uh, do you know what he first said to his disciples when he first saw them? You know, it wasn't, I told you so. It wasn't, I'm disappointed. It wasn't, okay, I'll forgive you this time, but you better get it right the next time. What did he say? The first recorded words we have of Jesus speaking to Peter and his disciples after the, after the resurrection was John 20, verse 19, when Jesus says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Like, can y'all believe that? Like, how is this possible? Like, Jesus just threatened that whoever denied him, he would cut off from communion with God. Like, how can he accept us as friends now? How is this possible? Well, this is because that Jesus was cut off from communion with God for us. He was placed under God's curse for us. He satisfied God's wrath against our sins. He was forsaken so that we may be embraced. And not only that, Jesus was raised from the dead because he was the only person who deserved eternal life. Jesus maintained perfect faithfulness to God and in obedience to God's law um, so that he was raised from the dead. And now the Father, he counts Christ's righteousness, his obedience to God's law as her own, as the Apostle Paul writes in chapter 4, verse 24, even to chapter 5, verse 1. Righteousness will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So no matter how grimy or slimy or filthy you think you are, you're the kind of person that Jesus says, peace be with you. So all you do is you accept this with open hands. The solution to our despair is to, not look, is to not look inward to our own good works and love, but to look outward in faith to the good works and love of Jesus for you. So not only is our status before God, our legal status before God is secured by Christ, our growth in holiness is also secured by Christ. So if you look forward into John chapter 21, you know, Jesus, he's you know, on the shore with Peter, and he asked Peter three times if he loved him. So there in that text, you know, Jesus is not suspicious of Peter's love for Christ. Like, Christ knows he loves him. But Jesus asked Peter three times if he loved him so that Peter would know that he loved Christ. You know, it was as if Christ was saying to Peter, I have loved you before the world existed. I have loved you by going to the cross. I have given myself for you. I'm never letting go. And so now I want you to say you love me with your chest. That's what he's saying in that text. So our growth in holiness is not fuel, fueled by guilt or just trying to be better people. 
Our growth in holiness is fueled by the love of God for us. You know, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 teaches this. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Then verse 19 teaches us, we love because he first loved us. And so the implication of this text is that the degree in which we know and trust in God's love for us in Christ is the degree that we will live in obedience to God's commands to love him and love our neighbors. So we only grow, we only grow in love towards God and love toward our neighbors to the degree we grow in trust in God's love for us, demonstrated at the cross of Jesus Christ. So the less certain you are of his love for you, the less you obey. And the more certain you are, the more, the more you will obey. And so seeing and savoring God's love for us will drive out disordered love for sin. So the real struggle in sanctification is not to start doing something, but to believe something. The struggle is to believe that Christ really is as loving, as merciful as he says he is. But we must humbly accept what the scriptures teach, not what our feelings say, not our reason, and not this world. So as we con conclude our time here today, um, you know, I hope we see, we've seen that Christianity is not a self-help, self-improvement program to where we just idolize cool characters in the Bible. That's not what Christianity is about. You know, Christianity is about Christ, right? It's all about him, our resurrected Savior. And so look at me here for a second. You know, the love of Christ is not limited by your love for him. On the contrary, it's his love that motivates him to live, to die, to resurrect, to save you from your sins, so that you may enjoy his love forever. And all we do is just open hands. Nothing in our, nothing in our hands that we bring, simply to the cross we cling. That's what the hymn says. All we do is just accept this with a believing heart. We rest in Christ. And this is what my, uh, one man who puts saving faith, he says, faith is less reaching out for the love of God, as much as it is the certainty that the love of God is reaching out to you. Let's pray. Father, praise you that you rule and you reign and you love us. You have demonstrated that love by sending your son to die on the cross for our, our unfaithfulness. And you are always faithful to us. We praise you that you're faithful when we are not. Forgive us for our own unfaithfulness and work into our hearts by your Holy Spirit a faith, a lively faith that loves and trusts you. Advance your kingdom by subduing, our, by subduing lost hearts by your grace. Advance your kingdom by binding our wandering hearts to you. May we find our rest in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.